on the road again just can't wait to get on the road again the life i love is making music with my friends Hello and welcome to this episode of Travel Stories from the Back Again and Gone podcast being recorded in the mountains of North Georgia. Not the home office of Chateau Relaxo, but we're still talking about our stories from home. Tonight, it's hiding places, blockbuster video, sexcations, and should I buy an RV? Thanks for listening. Hello. If you are a new listener, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. And like I said in the intro tonight, it's hiding places, blockbuster video, sexcations, and should I buy an RV? And right out the chute, we're hitting you with a Florida man story. Homeless man lived in sports stadium luxury suite for two weeks. Police in St. Petersburg, Florida, arrested a homeless fellow who had been living in a luxury suite in the Al Lang Stadium. He was apparently wearing Tampa Bay Rowdy's clothing, swiped from the merchandise shop, and ate from the concession stands during his two-week stay. And guess what? Now he's in jail on charges of burglary and resisting an officer without violence. And this gets thrown to us from the Tampa Bay Times. Hats off to you, Mr. Homeless Florida Luxury Sweet Man. But it isn't all that unusual. Who doesn't enjoy wandering around or getting lost at Ikea? It seems that people keep staying at Ikea, like staying overnight, like a sleepover. For example, a 12-year-old boy who got into a fight with his mom over math homework, and I'm guessing this is before all the home education, he decided to run away, and where did he go? The Ikea. He managed to hold out for six whole days before anyone noticed that he wasn't one of the other hundred children left to roam free as their parents had quite the fight over what or what not to buy. Here is my hiding place story. My first real job out of high school, thanks dad, was at Gould Computers in the documentation department. The year was 1982, computers were still in their infancy and we were very paper dependent. We were so paper dependent that we actually had a lady that operated the copy machines, two of them. And by God, you weren't allowed anywhere near those. Those were her babies. Our warehouse was shelves and shelves holding boxes and boxes filled with manuals. This was a jeans and polo shirt kind of environment. The warehouse was huge, dusty, hot, and not very well organized. My supervisor was a gentleman named Tad. And as you can imagine that, Tad typically had the collar on his polo shirt popped. And Tad was possibly at most a year older than I was, and he had this habit of taking really long breaks and even longer lunch hours. And like I said, the warehouse was huge, so it wasn't unusual that a trip to the back of the building could take 15 or 20 minutes by the time you found the right boxes, loaded it onto a hand truck, and came back up front. And every time Tad would appear after a break or a lunch hour, he'd be wheeling a hand truck coming up from the back of the building. Well, eventually our boss, Barbara, noticed the longer breaks and followed by his appearance with a hand truck in boxes. One day, she stopped Tad and opened the boxes on his hand truck, and they were manuals for equipment that we had quit making years ago. There's a reason Barbara was our supervisor. She was crafty. Barbara went into full murder-she-wrote mode, barraging Tad with questions, 
Tad being possibly 19 and not very wise to the ways of the world, instantly took Barbara to the back of the warehouse where we stored all the manuals from equipment that we no longer made. Tad was well ahead of his time. He had fashioned his own Tad man cave out of boxes of manuals. And he had positioned it so that it looked like stacked boxes as you came down the aisle or from the side. But when you walked around to the back of the stack and squeezed between a couple rows of boxes, you found Tad's man cave. There was an old office chair, a clock radio, magazine, snacks from the snack machine, even an old packing quilt folded up into some sort of a makeshift bed. Not sure how long Tad had this ruse going on or if he invited any of the lady friends at work to visit, hence the packing quilt, but he immediately achieved legendary status with all of us. Not sure if he got written up over this, but we all felt he should have been promoted. Are you familiar with Bend, Oregon? Any chance that you're heading that way? Well, if so, you can have a sleepover in the last blockbuster, yep, blockbuster, around. The website Uncrate threw this to me. Manager Sandy Harding has been keeping the 90s dream alive since 2004 by maintaining the very last blockbuster. This September, she's doubling down on the nostalgia with a sleepover inside the store. Dutchess County residents will have the chance to relive their childhoods and spend the night browsing the shelves stocked with new releases from the 1990s. Guests can head to the pull-out couch or plop down on a beanbag chair and settle in for the ultimate movie marathon, nerds and popcorn included. This is actually posted in Airbnb, but I can't find any available dates for booking, so we'll see if it's really legit or not. But I can tell you that in the late 80s, early 90s, Friday night at Blockbuster was the place. Rows and rows of VHS tapes. You could even rent a VCR. You could even rent some of the early gaming systems. You know, back then there was no video on demand. You had to get on a waiting list for latest releases. And depending on the uh, financial backing or the cash flow of the store, some stores would only order 10 copies of a new movie, while others would have 30 or 40. So you really had to know your blockbusters in the neighborhood to see if you want to see a first-run movie on the first weekend, which ones to pick it up at. So here's a few odd blockbuster facts. Blockbuster made a fortune off of late fees in the year 2000. $80 million, or 16% of the total revenue, came from late fees. Blockbuster late fees inspired Netflix. According to IndieWire, Netflix creator Reed Hastings returned a copy of Apollo 13. Great movie. To Blockbuster six weeks late and was shocked by the exorbitant late fees he had accrued. The charge was so costly that it pushed him to dream up a rental company that would never charge late fees and where you could instead keep movies for as long as you wanted. If you put on the Wayback Clock and go back probably as little as 12 years ago, Netflix used to distribute everything by the mail. You get a little envelope. Watch the movie, DVD towards the end, watch it as long as you wanted, but you didn't get an order another one until you sent that one back. Great move, and look where they are now. The first blockbuster opened in 1985. David Cook was the brains behind it. He was in the oil and software computer game before he ever opened his very first store. In 1987, he opened three more locations, and the rest is history. In the 80s, I lived in South Florida and built custom furniture. 
One of our clients was Wayne Heisinger, founder of Waste Management. Yes, the garbage removal people. Heisinger was the creator and initial owner of the Florida Marlins as well as the Florida Panthers hockey team. At one point, he was partial owner of the Miami Dolphins. In 1996, he formed AutoNation, which became the nation's largest automotive dealer. And in 1987, he acquired a handful of Blockbuster stores. So the story, as I heard it, was that Heisinger has a son, Wayne Jr., who in the mid-80s opened a yogurt store. And yogurt stores in South Florida were all the rage at the time. And Wayne Sr., being the visionary, encouraged Wayne Jr. to include VHS tape rentals in his yogurt store. The reason? Someone comes in for yogurt, they leave with a VHS rental, they return the tape, and hopefully leave with yet another yogurt. In the early 90s, Wayne Jr. purchased about 34 TCBY stores in Orlando, so something must have worked out. Like I said, that's the story, or at least that's how I heard it. It seems like no episode is complete with some sort of mouse house news. Well, again, Disney is hyping their new Magic Flex ticket. Gotta have the word flex in it for Floridians. We can visit Disney World for as low as $49 a day when purchasing a four-day ticket. The four-day ticket allows park goers to visit one park a day between July 22nd and November 20th, as well as November 29th and December 18th. If you notice the gap between the 20th and 29th is the Thanksgiving holiday, and then pulling up just short of the Christmas end-of-year holidays with December 18th. You're not allowed to go. They call them blackout dates. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I certainly don't want to be at the park when there's any more people that have to be there. So this one I'm not going to bite on, but for all you Floridians looking to uh, cash in for a park for about 50 bucks a day, not a bad deal in my opinion. And more Mouse House news, being a foodie, I was checking out the Disney food blog. Yes, there is a blog about the food at Disney, and they asked a very simple question, how much food will $100 buy you at Disney World? Glad you asked. Well, those beautiful, delicious Mickey ice cream bars, you can get 17 of them. They're about six bucks a piece. Or you can go to the grocery store and find them in the frozen food aisle, and you can probably get a box of four for the same six bucks. Mickey pretzels, those are delicious. You can get 14 of those for a hundred bucks. They're roughly $7 a piece. This is where it gets interesting. Almost a whole bottle of the most expensive water in Disney World. $120 per bottle, but get this, it's glacier water, so it's got to be worth it. You can also get less than half a shot of the most expensive tequila, Cuervo Anniversary, $250 per shot, and does not contain any glacier water. Five margaritas, they run anywhere from $14 to $16. Seven Cobb salads at $14 a piece, and I'm just really curious as who in the hell goes to Disney and orders a Cobb salad. Seven Ronto wraps at $14 a piece, which has some sort of a tie-in with Star Wars. And a Ronto wrap, if you're curious, is nothing more than sausage coleslaw wrapped in a pita. And for the family of four, if you want to feel like a real baller, you can take one adult and one child to Cinderella's Royal Table. $62 for adult, $37 for kids, and it's only for breakfast. I found this on God Save the Points. London Hotel now proudly offers sexcations. The big package, wink, wink, goes for about 198 euros. 
and it includes two nights of hotel rooms with bubbles, branded condoms, a sexy mama box to assist with the sweet, sweet loving, free daily breakfast, complimentary triple X movies. And here's another quick fact that Blockbuster never, ever rented porn or triple X movies. And of course, the Sexcation offers late checkouts for one last quickie. We have talked about hotel sex in multiple episodes. Here's a refresher. Hotel sex. The hope, normally by the male, that an evening away from the kids in a strange room will entice his partner into strange kinky sex acts that he accidentally stumbled across on the interwebs. A less than 50% chance of it ending up that way or the way that he envisioned it. However, the possible saving grace with this is the fact that it is being advertised as a sexcation, complete with a sexy mama box. So as they said in Dumb and Dumber, so you're saying there's a chance. Another quick question, are you missing the office? Are you missing your fellow cubicle jockeys? How about the actual sounds of an office? If so, listen to this. There are endless YouTube loops that loop office sounds. I found one that even went on for 10 hours, well beyond most of our eight-hour workdays. And it turns out that sounds like this fall into the ASMR category, also known as brain massage. It's triggered by placid sights and sounds, such as whispers, accents, and crackles. So there you go. The more you know, the more you know. How about an RV? Yeah, how about an RV? As I've said in past episodes, I've spent more time watching traditional TV. And one of the rabbit holes that I've been down is RV shows, going RV, big time RV, extreme RVs, flipping RVs. Yes, people actually flip RVs. RVs have evolved since Uncle Bob rolled in with his Thor Industries 1972 two-tone beige land yacht. RVs now offer some pretty nice high-end amenities. They're self-leveling systems, no more hand cranking till everything's level. Multiple slide-outs, uh, as they say, the wider the better. LED lighting, heated water tanks. And with that evolution, the prices have evolved. You can start at forty grand and work all the way up north of $2 million. Pick a figure. You know, we've had some loose discussions around Chateau Relaxo about heading down the RV road, and I've done a pretty deep dive probably not in our foreseeable future. And here's my take on RVs. Let's say you hit a scratch-off ticket for $250,000. And this should cover most RVs for your typical family. After all, you're not part of the Duggar clan. RVs are expensive. No matter the size of the amenities, they are expensive. And what are some of the costs, right? Gas, more than likely your four-door sled in the driveway is clocking in at about 24 miles per gallon with an RV, pray that you get anything above 12 miles a gallon. RV parks, we've all seen the roadside signs begging us to pull in. These things can be expensive. They can go anywhere from $50 to $100 a night. One saving grace is that you can park in a Walmart parking lot, but then just remember in the morning when you wake up, you're in a Walmart parking lot. Maintenance, yes, it's a car, but it's also a car that you sleep in. Things like TVs, plumbing, fridges, toilets, possibly it's a house that you can drive. Utilities, at a minimum, there's water, electricity, sewer. You might need to fill a propane tank or two along the way. 
insurance, not going to follow under your existing auto policy and storage. This is my biggest obstacle. Where would I park the damn thing? After a day or two parked on the side of the house, I'm sure the next door app would be all abuzz, more activity than the typical, I lost my dog or I found a cat or what color do I paint my house type post. All the Gladys Kravitz in the neighborhood would be just a buzz on next door. Around here, storage is about 50 bucks a month and monthly storage is one of the reasons that we also don't own a boat. If we lived in Chateau de Lake House, we would have a boat, but it would be sitting in the water. I don't want just the hassle of going to a boat ramp and dealing with all the other yahoos that don't know how to back a trailer up would drive me insane. So as we dip our toe into the RV water, our plan is to get on a plane someday and fly to, I don't know, the Grand Canyon, hit up 1-800-RV-RENTAL and head out for a few days and see what it's like. Does this rental plan save us some cash? Well, let's consider what they call a Class CRV. That's the type built on somewhat of an automotive frame, but it's got a cab resembling a truck or a van. Right off the bat, if I rent, that's going to save me anywhere from 40 to 60K since I'm not buying it. But to rent a Class C is anywhere from 150 to $200. They're going to charge you some sort of setup fee because they can. There's a cost per mile, think U-Haul, but a little bit more expensive, anywhere from 25 cents to 75 cents. On the low end, a five-day trip would set you back, I don't know, $1,500 before you pay for fuel in the RV parks. Even if a five-day trip costs me three grand or roughly you know, $600 a day, two trips a year would run it up to about $6,000. Well, here's how my meager financial brain works two major RV road trips per year at $6,000. At the end of 10 years, I would have spent roughly 60K or the cost of a class C RV. If I had bought that same RV for 60K at the end of 10 years, I'd have a 10 year old RV plus all the storage and maintenance costs. And I know you can rent out your RV when you're not using it. I've got a couple of friends that do that. And you know what, that may be something to look into. I'm not sure. If I end up renting, I'm going to get pretty much a relatively new RV each year, pay none of the storage or the maintenance costs. You know, this is one of those things we're still going to have to take an inaugural trip and see if this is something viable or not. We'll do it, get back to you, and let you know. Thanks for listening. If you'd like, leave me a voicemail over at anchor.com or shoot me an email, travelfrick at gmail.com. As I keep hoping to say, travel safe. But until then... Stay safe, and thanks for listening. Hey, wait a second. Don't go. Make sure you check out all the blogs over at HypeAmerica.com. From food to travel to just general life humor, we cover all the topics. Thanks again. Thanks again.